sure a lot of folks out there this morning suffering the same thing I am, that cough, nagging cough. So you front two rows may be in trouble this morning. At least you got your glasses on, Miss Jean. So. Uh, take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, continuing our study, and uh, we're pressing onward through the text. Today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Again, good to see folks back with us. Haven't been here in a while. Turners, praise God. Michelle, glad to have you back. Carvers, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Caitlin, I see you hiding back there, young lady. A lot of folks. And our visitors, some visitors back again. Dustin, his wife, see you guys back there. Excellent, excellent. I, don't, I, I go through, I'm going to miss somebody. I know Will, don't be mad at me if I missed you. All right, I love you. I'm glad you're here. It's good. It's a good day. Well, what a wonderful way to close out worship there. I, I have to admit, sometimes as a pastor, I'm in the back. I'm a little bit disengaged. Shame on me. Um, a lot of thoughts flooding my head and mind. But I did pause there near the end and get on that last song. And praise the Lord. That, that was good stuff, Randall. Excellent. I'm thankful. Song selection. I know the Spirit of God was moving on your heart. And just a good uh, spirit of worship, right? That's what we're here for. Worship God. Study God's Word, draw closer to God in our understanding that we might go out of here different than when we came in. And we talk all day long about God's truth. Uh, we can preach, I can preach at you. That's pretty easy, you know. <laughs> that's passive. We got an active part, don't we, in our worship, and that's presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Our real worship happens when we go outside these walls and we live out our faith. This is where we get equipped to do that. And uh, hopefully this morning we'll be encouraged in our faith, build up in our faith, uh, and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. That's good. Uh, we want to have the mind of God. Let's look at the, te at the text this morning, Luke chapter 4, <clears throat> 14 through 30. Luke 4, 14. Through 30. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. and There was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, I, I've uh, had a tough week of sickness. I, I need you to help me today, Lord. Help me to be a vessel uh, clean, fit for your honor, that I might be a conduit of your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that you... Um, would just speak today through your word, through the Spirit of God. I pray for the listening ears, the listening hearts that are here today. They would be open to the Lord to commune with you, to hear your truth. And so, Lord, I just pray you be exalted here. You be made much of. You be lifted up through the preaching and teaching of your word. Give me clarity of thought. And again, Lord, I ask for your anointing, your boldness to speak your truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And give you the praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> Familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that saying. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's today's title. You know, I just, yesterday, for in case some of you men were wondering, I know Brother Don probably shared with you and some of you knew, <coughs> that yesterday I uh, had already on schedule to be in Asheboro, my hometown. Um, I had to go and help my, my dad Again, appreciate all your prayers for him. Um, he had a, a meeting with my uncle and went through some treatments this week. And uh, anyway, just looking to get some things adjusted there. But um, I had to go and help my hometown, do an auction. My brother came in. He did the bulk of the work and uh, in the auctioneering. You thought I could talk and talk a lot. My brother, he's an auctioneer, so you know he's got me beat. But, uh, but anyway, we were there and uh, got some things done. And So I'm sorry I missed the fun activities out here with the cleanup. Uh, and getting the trail going. But I do intend to look out there and inspect your work there later, so you may be hearing from me. <laughs> I heard it went good. I heard it went good. You know, it's funny, when I travel back to my hometown, always a little uncertainty in my heart, and I don't know why. I think it's something about this passage. A prophet's without honor in his own town, you know? Uh, a lot of people there. They know the old Jeremy before my conversion. Because shortly after my conversion, I left that town, went off to Piedmont, Baptist College at the time, Bible College at the time. 
and really have not, I've not been back into my hometown except for the brief visits to see mom and dad. And without fail, whenever I go back to my hometown, God seems to prearrange some providential appointment with somebody I grew up with, used to run wild with, and you know, and I always try to humbly see those opportunities uh, as God ordained to share the gospel, to communicate to them how Christ has changed my life, because he has changed my life. Um, but you know, I, you read this text, and, and can you imagine? Here's Christ, and this is the first time he has gone back into his home area. He had a brief stint. We went back for uh, the wedding, his first miracle, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the marriage there at Cana, and he goes back for a brief stay to, to his hometown. But that was just probably a couple of weeks at best. But for the past year and a half, he has been traveling all around these other areas, these other regions outside of his hometown area, doing miracles, casting out demons, Healing sick people. I mean, there's this, he's been preaching, proclaiming all over for almost a year and a half probably. See, Luke doesn't include a lot of those things. In fact, if you want to know what Luke's left out, go to John, the Gospel of John, basically from about chapter 2, uh, 4, the Samaritan woman. With Jesus. All that's basically taking place in between. Luke's just giving you, again, he's coming in. Remember, these guys, when they write the Gospels, they're not always chronologically. They are writing in a thematic form. Oftentimes they're writing, in, they have a purpose in what their focus is in their writing, so they may not include certain stories. And Luke has left out a lot of the different things that have been happening in the surrounding area. But he gives you a snapshot in the text because we know, based upon what Luke has written here, that the last place Luke left us was in the temptation with Satan, right? He's come out of the desert, right? But it's interesting, it says, Then he went down to Capernaum, and this is at this point in time, a year and a half probably plus later. He's going to go back to his hometown. Luke finds it important to pick up the story here. And so he goes to his, to his home down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he'd been around the Galilean area outside of there anyway, around the outskirts. And it says that they were astonished at his teaching. Um, I'm sorry, I'm... I, Got ahead of myself there. Let me go back to 14. Go back over to 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Okay. The word's out. There's a great buzz going on. Think about what's happened in Luke's writing so far. Jesus was at the baptism of John the Baptist. There was a bodily form, the Holy Spirit descending, voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist the next day sees him and points out, there's the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. So the buzz is starting to develop. People are starting to hear. And now Jesus is traveling around all the surrounding region in the power of the Holy Spirit doing miracles and healing people and raising the dead and, and all these miraculous things that folks are going to witness. And so he returned. I, th I think it's interesting that it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. 
in the power of the Spirit. Remember when we left you last time, we left with one of the charges for us as Christians that we're to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led. Here's Jesus in the heart of His ministry, and if we're going to do ministry, we must be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led. Here He is, Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, headed into Galilee. And the news of Him went out through all the surrounding region, and He taught in their synagogues. You know, Jesus' big ministry, preaching, teaching. And this is what he's doing. Uh, by the way, that phrase, in the power of the Spirit, very significant phrase because, as you're going to find in just a second, it's a fulfillment, a messianic fulfillment. We talked a little bit about that last time. But the news of him going out, he's teaching in the synagogues. He'd come into uh, certain areas, as was custom. And he would begin to teach folks. Now, these synagogues, I don't want you to misunderstand, the synagogue uh, is different from the temple. The temple was one place, one location. Synagogues, though, sprung up all around the region. Almost, you know, all these towns and uh, areas surrounding, each one had a synagogue, a place of worship. And typically, they could start a synagogue if they had ten men to form this gathering. And so there were a lot of synagogues sprung up everywhere. Usually, the larger the city, the more the synagogues. It's estimated about this time there may have been as many as 240 synagogues in this surrounding area. And these were, this was not something that you find in the Old Testament per se. This is something, again, that, that uh, people... Um, begin gathering together outside of the temple worship and they would begin to uh, gather. And, and, and it, it's a lot like we could liken it to our churches today. Place of gathering of, of these folks, of believers. Um, uh, there's great contrast. We won't go into that here. But, but again, just kind of gives you an idea. If I were to say, hey, you know, there, a church, there's a church on every corner almost. And the larger the city, the more churches. The point I'm trying to make is there were synagogues. In a lot of these towns, as long as they met those requirements, and the larger the city, the larger the usually the more uh, synagogues there were. But he taught in these synagogues. This was a place where folks were, were studying the scriptures. And so in this specific situation, Jesus comes home in the spirit and comes to Galilee. His fame precedes him. His reputation is spread. And this is the first time he's returning to his home area for a stint, for a stay. So he came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And notice it says, and as his custom was, this was his practice, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Again, a practice that they would do. In the reading of the text, they would stand to read. A lot of churches still do that. Every now and then we'll do that here. But he stood up and he would read the text in verse 17 and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see why Luke started this section with that phrase. This is a messianic fulfillment. And can you imagine what that was, must have been like to have been in that setting, to be in that synagogue at that time? And Jesus comes in and they hand him, the attendant hands him this book. 
And it's, in, it's the book of Isaiah. And Jesus knew exactly where to turn to, didn't he? Don't feel bad. Hey, listen, when I got saved, man, I remember somebody say, turn to, you know, Philippians. And they're like, all back here in the Old Testament. You know, where's that at? Where's that at? You know, and I know some of you don't look. Don't be embarrassed by that. If you can't find a book, don't you let that bother you. That's Satan getting on your shoulder. Just let it be a challenge to learn your books. Come sit in on Wano's. You can learn them good there. My son's playing his DVD every night before he goes to bed. He's singing those songs. Thank you, man. All you can help it out. Anyway, I, I need to go in there and listen to it myself probably. You know? I remember my pastor to turn to First Hezekiah. I was trying to find it. No such thing for those of you who don't know that. <laughs> I guess we got more here than I thought. All right, that's okay. That's all good. So, he stands. He begins to read. He's handed this book. And the first thing he reads is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And notice, he, he says this, and these folks that are gathered there, they've heard of his reputation. It precedes him. Can you imagine? Hey, you're never going to believe who's here today. It's Jesus. Huh? Yeah, the guy that's been doing all the miracles. Man, they're talking up a storm down the road. I heard, you know what I heard? I heard he came into one man's house and healed his son. He was going to die and he healed him. Really? Yeah. Well, you know what? My brother told me that there was a guy that had a demon in him. And he spoke to that demon in authority and made him jump out. Get out of here. No, I'm serious. I'll, I'll swear on my tunic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they talked about, but can you imagine what that must have been like? Because you know that's what was going on. They were buzzing about this. His, his repu- the text has told us. The word of all that he had been doing in the surrounding region had gathered. They had been, this is, you know, they're hearing. And here's Jesus, and he begins to read this. He begins to read this text. Notice, verse 21, we know that that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is a messianic uh, prophecy because in verse 21 it says, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, it was a messianic text. Uh, the Isaiah prophecy. They were looking for the Messiah to come, and now he had been revealed. And Luke is writing and recording this through the baptism, the testimony of the Father and the Holy Spirit upon him, and, and then the temptation and the testing. Remember, we talked last time about the first Adam and the second Adam and this testing of Jesus and how Jesus passed that test. And now he's traveling around the region proving who he is, God incarnate. And now he stands in their midst and he reads this text. And after he closes the book and sets down, by the way, that was a uh, technique. I may take up that technique. Let me give me a little stool up here. Be like a little Andy Stanley or Charles is sitting now too. He learned that from his son, by the way. Don't despise the youth. But uh, the reason why they sat down, this was they would read the text, but then they would assume a sitting position as a response of humility. to teach from that position. And so Jesus closes the book, he sets down, and he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? The Word of God made flesh, 
the power of God, the Spirit of God is resting upon him. He's anointed. This is the fulfillment. He delivers that in the midst of that group in his own village, his hometown, in the power of God. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Well, I don't want to miss some of the other things back up in 18, so let's jump back up there because not only was he uh, anointed with the Holy uh, Spirit, he says he, he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And of course, you know, in the Old Testament days, the reference to those taken into Babylonian captivity, those who would have been captive by uh, other nations. No, this is in reference to those of us who are held captive to sin. Christ has come to set you free from the bondage of sin. Sin is a bondage. To preach the gospel to the poor. We are poor in spirit. In fact, we're dead in spirit. Apart from the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. To proclaim liberty to the captives and and recovery of the sight to the blind. He had been doing these things. They knew this. His reputation preceded him. So when he's reading this text, this messianic prophecy, they know this is true. Because... This has been happening. Just like your brother said. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now what is this? The year of the Lord's favor. Is one way to translate. The year of the Lord's favor. Do you know that we are in a time of grace? We are in a season within the... His story, His story, we are in a day of grace. We're no longer under the law like in the Old Testament days. Though we keep the moral law, we don't still keep the, you know, the other laws, the uh, ceremonial laws. I don't think any of you brought a lamb today to be sacrificed, did you? Because I, Okay, thank you, sir. I see that. We'll be having lunch later. You bring it on over. So, again... You know, we, 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 we are held to the moral law, but we're not under the, under the law. We're under grace. This is a new time period because of who Christ is, because of what He did at Calvary. We're in the church age, it's called. The age of the church. Believers are gathered here today together to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, because He has fulfilled the law. Right? So, the year of the Lord's favor. Notice verse 20, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the tent. He sat down. And we talked about that. He stopped reading. Why did he stop reading right there? Why did he stop at that point? Because if you go back to Isaiah 61 and 62, in fact, let's turn over there real quick. Everybody turn to Isaiah. Don't worry for those of you who don't know where it's at. It's in the Old Testament. (laughs) There's a freebie. I'm helping you out. All right, Isaiah 62. Actually, no, let's go 61. Isaiah 61. And if you need a Bible, there's one in the pew. We're making it easy for you today. All right. 
the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't share that part, did he? He stopped midstream. He didn't finish the quote. The day of vengeance of our God? And he sat down. He didn't read that part. Why? Well, obvious. That part is still yet to come. But you know what? It's coming. There is a day of vengeance. God will repay. There is a day of judgment that will come upon this earth. And I know sometimes we look at the news and we see things that are happening in our world and we think, how much longer, Lord? How much longer? But you know what? I am thankful He is a long-suffering God. Because I don't know about you, I still got family. How many of you here got family you hope are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, all around. I'm thankful our God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, we know not everybody's going to repent. But I'm glad we're in a day of grace because we need that grace and we've got family and friends that need that grace and therefore, we too, like Christ, must preach and teach and proclaim to the brokenhearted, the poor in spirit, those that are held in captivity, the good news, the gospel. He left out that part that pertains to judgment. But that day will come, and Christ will come again. And he will come again one day in judgment. Notice verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, So all bore witness to him, and they marveled. Notice what they marveled at. They marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. That's very interesting. Especially in lieu of what's getting ready to happen. They marveled. They were amazed. They were in wonder. They were just, wow. Turn with me over to, to, to uh, Matthew 13. I think this is part of the reason why they're in such astonishment and amazement with what he's just read and what he's just said to them. Because I think for one time in their gathering at the synagogue, this actually, this text that may have been read before in their midst, for once in their life, it probably made sense. Notice in Matthew 13, Matthew 13, and let's look in verse 54. God bless you. Verse 54, 1354 says, When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? See, they knew about his works. They already knew about his works. The reputation had spread. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, unless you're Hispanic, maybe Jose, 
Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, what's happening here, and again, there's other texts you can look at. Again, go back and read the John 2 and on up through 4, and you'll see some of the miracles Jesus did. You can look back in Matthew, uh, and again, after uh, Matthew kind of closely records, uh, as well as in Mark. In fact, I may be able to locate a Mark passage that, that, that deals with some of that as well. But you want to you get a full picture here of what's going on in this time. In the time uh, that has elapsed from uh, his time in the desert, uh, the anointing uh, of the Spirit descending like a dove upon him at the baptismal, he has gone and done all types of miracles. So many know, and yet here he is in their midst in his hometown, and they know his mama, they know his daddy, they know his brothers and his sisters. How can this be? He's just a man. Isn't that Joseph's son? But his words were gracious. And his words were backed with action. Because in those other texts that we allude to, that he had done these things. The old saying, the proof's in the pudding. He had been healing. He had been casting out demons. So it was backed with action. So, Luke continues on. Is this not Joseph's son? Notice Jesus' response because now he's noticed that it's shifted. At first, they marveled. They were impressed. They were just, wow, in awe. But now, he's read this prophetic text, and he tells them, I'm the one. In essence, that's what he said. He's telling them, I'm the Messiah. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he sat down. Some get it, some don't. And the tide turns. It's not this Mary's son, Joseph's son. Is that not his brother? Is that not? That, we know these guys. They're here. And they were. They were there. No doubt they were there because, again, that we knew their reputation. And Luke has done a great job establishing in the first four chapters the integrity of his mom and dad, the family, in being good Jews. So they were gathered in the synagogue, no doubt. And so, now the tide turns. Notice how he responds to this. Jesus knowing the tide's turning. Even though they marveled and those were gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Isn't that how it often is? Have you ever noticed that? Who's the haters in the world? You people. You're the haters. You've not been accused of hate speech yet. Give it time. Because if you stand for what's true, even though those words are words of compassion, when I tell someone this lifestyle that you're choosing is sinful, 
God does not, He's not designed you for that. This is not what's best for you. You're a hater. But yet those are the most compassionate words you could offer because they're words of truth. But the truth has a way of offending, doesn't it? Remember Jesus' disciples told Jesus, you offend the Pharisees. Of course he did. Christian, though you may speak the truth in love with gentleness and meekness, though as Christ did give words of compassion and grace, don't always expect your hearer to hear it that way. God knows the heart. And if you're standing in truth and you're sharing truth out of an attitude of love and an attitude of compassion, that's what matters. So, Jesus says, verse 23, He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now, again... You think about this. They, they obviously know some of the things that have, that have happened. Um, they know that Jesus has done some healing. He knows this is coming. I mean, you know, this is a saying. This is a saying of the day. Okay, Mr. Hotshot Doctor, you healed others, heal yourself. You know, that kind of thing's coming. You're going to hear on the cross, he saved others, let him save himself. He knows the mockery that's going to come. And he says, verse 24, Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent, except, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Now what does this mean? Why did he go off on this little story tale here? What is that significant to what's just happened here? Where, where is he going with this? Well, he knows there's going to be mockery. He knows there's going to be scoffing. He knows there's going to be great unbelief in his hometown. He knows they're going to say, well, you did this here, here, and here, supposedly. Let's see you do it here. This is par for the course. He knows. Prophet in his own town is without our... He knows this. Remember what John said in his writing? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Again, there's a fulfillment that's taking place here. We know what's going to happen. The Jews are not going to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're going to reject him. Notice what Jesus does next. He gives them this story. What is so significant about Elijah and Elisha in this story that he's offered? Here's what happened. During this time period, and you can find this in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, uh, you can go back and read through the account of these two stories. But basically, God is pulling back from Israel. 
And there's a sense of judgment coming on. And yet the two spokesmen here mention the people that they are meant, Jesus is mentioning here in this text. Guess who they were? They weren't Jews. Gentiles. And notice it was random in the selection. He didn't do this to everyone in Israel. There was a purpose. Jesus is saying to them because he knows they're going to say, well, if you did this out there, do that here. And he's sending a message to these people, and this is what ticks them off. This is when they, oh, the gracious words have now been turned into hate because you better get out of here. They're ready to kill him. Why are they so passionate about killing him when he has just told them a story about Elijah and Elisha? Because of the context in which these stories fall. You see, in the story of Elijah and Elisha, both of these mention in the scripture, it was to Gentiles. Let me read you a MacArthur note here in regards to this. This is, uh, if you have a MacArthur Bible, do you have a good Bible? It's from my old fundy days. Anyway, um, if you have a MacArthur study Bible, you can follow along these notes. Listen to this in chapter 4, verse 25 and 27, the note there in the MacArthur study Bible. Both the widow of Zarephath, 1 Kings 17, 8 through 24, and Naaman the Syrian, 2 Kings 5, were Gentiles. Both lived during times of widespread unbelief in Israel. Jesus' point was that God bypassed all the widows and lepers in Israel, yet showed grace to the two Gentiles. God's concern for Gentiles and outcasts is one of the thematic threads that runs through Luke's gospel. That's why Luke is recording this in, in, in his, his gospel writing. Think about what John said. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. That didn't fit into the Jewish playbook. Right? And so, here he is in a synagogue, and he's basically saying, my ministry, he's referencing Gentiles as well. They don't like that because Gentiles are dogs. There's nothing holy about them in the mind of a good Jew of the day. And so Jesus is trying to show that, that this is a message for them as well. What? Are you kidding me? This makes them very angry. Notice verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Done gone and done it now, Jesus. Mm. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. Can you just see this, uh, this angry mob of them? You know, they're kind of, you know, like, that sounded more like a caveman in some bad movie. But, you know, there were probably just hordes of them yelling and screaming and shaking their fist. And, and, you know, here he is probably getting tousled around in the middle of, you know, just sort of kind of, you know, bouncing around and uh, like a Plinko chip on uh, Price is Right. I don't know. And they're taking him to the edge of the town, of the city, where the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. They were going to kill him. He's blasphemed. This is terrible stuff in their mind. And I believe we see, as we see many times in Jesus' life, when they come to this point, a miraculous escape. The text says 
he passed through the midst of them. You know, I got this picture of like a parting of the Red Sea almost, you know. I don't know if it was a supernatural, just they couldn't, just, you know, a mystical, just him just walk right through them. Whole mob of crowd just kind of spreading out. They ain't about to touch him. They can't touch him. It's not his time. He just walked right through them, right through the midst of them. Even if they wanted, they couldn't. He's the son of God. This scripture has been fulfilled. God is in your midst. And what are they wanting to do? They wanted to kill him. But isn't that oftentimes the response of the world even today? You want to give them truth. You're not here to hurt them. You're not here to condemn them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. And yet that's what we're trying to do when we share the love of Christ with people who are hurting, people who are captive in their sins and they're blind and they don't even see it. We're trying to give them the healing information, the the truth, the encounter that they need so desperately. And yet we get seen as just one of the, the wrath. The wrath is stirred up in the heart of people. You Christians, you Bible believers, you Bible thumpers, you think you got all the answers. You think you're right. You make me sick. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had some, some I mean, some people go to striking. Our brothers and sisters in other countries are being killed, slaughtered, burned alive, beheaded. Because we share the truth. And the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. It angers him. It frustrates him. And that's what happens here. Well, let's wrap it up. How do we apply this text? Well, I can tell you one thing that's hit me in my study through this, and especially after returning home to, to my hometown and the thoughts that kind of come and go in my heart and mind. You know, sometimes those closest to us are the hardest to reach, aren't they? You know what? I know some, some of you here today, you got family. They don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know Him as their Lord and their Savior. And you so long desperately in your heart that they might come to truth. They'd stop rejecting Christ and surrender to their creator, the one who gives them life. Because his grace is sufficient. He's pouring out grace upon grace upon grace in this day in which we live because he's not willing for any to perish. And your heart aches and your heart breaks. It's tough. No prophet is accepted in his own country. It happened to Jesus. It happens to us. But listen, I, I want you to understand this. If anyone knows this pain, if anyone knows this level of hurt and angst in the heart, it's Jesus Christ. He himself experienced this. He knows this. This is why he says this in these texts. His brothers and sisters are there. They were part of the ones that were angry and upset at everything going on. His brothers 
did not come to know him in a saving way till after his resurrection. They doubted. And we'll find even later, even, even Mary and, you know, they're wondering. There's a wonder in their own heart. Later we'll find, they, think, they, they kind of try to quieten down the crowd as if he's crazy. They, they start to wonder themselves, is something wrong? Is he really mad? What's, what's going on here? So if anybody gets it, Jesus gets it. Christian, be encouraged. You're not walking this road alone. Your Savior's been down it. Keep pouring your heart out to Him. And keep reaching out to that loved one. Because you never know what God is doing on the inside, on the heart of man. Countless times in this text we'll see people who do come to that saving knowledge. Sometimes people can go from thinking, you're the bomb. Blowing up on you. <laughs> it's a layman's term. I'm going to give you some practical things. Think about it. One minute in this text, Jesus, they're marveling at him. His gracious word, man, they're, they're awestruck to all of a sudden wanting to kill him. Sometimes in life, you're going to meet people, they're going to think you're the bomb. You are the man. You're the bomb. To all of a sudden, they can't stand you. Get out of my face. All right. Listen, as a pastor, Brother Dean knows this. I always try to encourage people. If you're looking to me, I'm going to let you down. Don't put your eyes on me as your Savior. You're looking in the wrong place. Now, I will do all I can do within the power of God to be the man of God. But I'm going to fail you. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. We're going to keep our eyes on Him, right? Not man. And I know we, look, there's, I remember a story in uh, past ministry. And this guy, man, he thought I was the bomb. He was championing my calls left and right. He just appraising God. He praised the Lord. He just, man, this guy's great. This guy's great. And one of the other fellows said, now hold on, he's a man. And I tried to encourage him too. Now, hold on, I'm a man. And I'll never forget the phone call I got one night at 10 o'clock at night. Because we were planning a missions trip overseas with the youth group. And his two kids, teenagers, were in the youth group. And he called up and he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. What's this business I hear about y'all thinking about a possible missions trip to, uh, I think it was Honduras. I said, well, we're talking about it. Nothing's been settled, but that's where we feel very strongly led to go at this point because at that time our youth group had a strong representation of Hispanics within our group. And so we felt like we need to go to a Spanish-speaking country where we can utilize our gifts and talents in sharing the gospel. Well, I can tell you two kids that won't be going. It'll be my two children. Do you know what you're... I mean, he was irate. And I thought, what in the world is wrong with this man? He said, I've been overseas, and I've seen people come home in body bags. And I knew then he was worried. He was concerned that we were going to put his kids in a situation where they may be threatened because of the gospel and potentially harmed. And I'll never forget. I said, Larry, 
Where would you rather your kids be? In Honduras, in the center of God's will, or in Rowan County, outside of God's will? And I thank the Lord he gave me those words in that moment to say what needed to be said. It diffused the situation. He says, well, I'm just letting you know, if that's where you decide to go, my kids won't be going. I said, I understand that, and I respect that, and I support that, and I will encourage your kids to honor that. Guess who got knocked off the pedestal that day in Larry's mind? <laughs> That's okay, guys. The point is this. Jesus understands that. They go from in this text to he's the bomb to all of a sudden blowing up in his face ready to kill him. Don't be shocked, Christian, when you speak the truth in love that somehow, sometimes that makes enemies. And sometimes it comes from people who used to be your number one supporter, your number one fan. And I keep coming back to this. I keep coming back to that Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 reference. Preach. Notice that he was sent. Proclaim, proclaim. You see that up there in that text. Notice. Jesus sharing that Isaiah passage in fulfillment. And we as Christians, I just keep coming back to that. That is our marching orders. You want to know your marching orders, Christians? Read that text. Highlight that text. That is our mission. That are, these are our marching orders. We need to reach out to all. That is one of the other things that this text gives me an application is Jesus was... He offended them because he was going to a people group that they did not like. And church, we're going to be called to certain people groups. If we're going to be community Baptist church, there is all types of folks in this community. And you know who you're going to offend sometimes? The religious. But we got marching orders. We've got a mission. And it is to reach, to preach the gospel to the poor. It's to help heal those brokenhearted. It's to proclaim liberty to the captives, those that are held in all types of sin. Folks will come into this door that are gripped in sin like you have never even thought about. But you know what? Praise the Lord, they're here. It's our mission. The recovery to the blind. There are people who come in these doors that you've brought in, that you've, you've gone, you've maybe even kicking and screaming. They don't see why you do what you do. The natural man doesn't discern it. Well, pray those blinders are removed. They might see because of the glorious light of the gospel. We need to set at liberty those who are oppressed. A lot of people hurting, a lot of people suffering. We need to set them at liberty. Christ provides that to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, behold, today is the day of salvation. Today, folks, today is the day of grace. We're in the church age. Now is the time for salvation. It's a free gift, but there's coming a time. Christ has shut this book. He sat down, but guess what? He's opening it again, and one day there's going to be judgment poured out. It's going to happen. We need to be ready. May God prepare our hearts to be Christ-like in our mission. Reach out to all kinds of folks. 
And some people might not get it. Some people just might not get it. That's okay. Because you know what? I like what verse 30 said. And I'll leave you with these words. He went his way. He went his way. I don't know about you, but I want to go his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. Lord, you are our teacher. Teach us today as we leave here. Let us not allow, uh, Lord, you please guard our hearts that this seed would not be plucked away. Let us go out of here changed. Help us to be reminded of marching orders. Help us to go out of here different than when we came in. Lord, that we would go out of here. As Christ gave us an example, seeking who may be saved, seeking out the lost. Lord, help us in developing those relationships with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with those that are hurting, that are hurting and that are downcast. And, and Lord, just, you know the ones that need help. Lead us to them. Help us to love them with the love of Christ. But let us not be easily shaken when sometimes that word is rejected. May we follow Christ's example. Even when the crowd's against us, may we go His way. Lead us now as we head from here. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity again to be in your word, to be with believers, to be encouraged in our faith. And we give you all the praise because you alone are worthy of our praises. We ask it in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps you're here today and you want to know what it means to have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. You want to know what it means to be forgiven of your sin? To know that you can be made whole, you can be made clean. I'd love nothing more than to share God's Word with you. Let me know on your way out. Preacher, God spoke to me today. Today is my day of salvation. I want to get things right. I want to get my account settled with God. I would love nothing more than to do that. So, on your way out, if you would, just sort of give me a tug. Say, preacher, I, I want to talk to you. And we'll go sit down and we'll talk. Okay? Um, that's what I'm here for. Forgive me if I don't shake hands on the way out. I don't want you getting the gunk I got. Because I'm telling you, it ain't fun. Ask my wife. I kept her up all night for like two nights in a row. I'm, t I'm telling you. She thought I was a, she thought I was a, a computer guru. Because of all that hacking. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> I'm here all week, I'm sorry. With that said, I'm going to ask Brother Aaron Carver to, if he would there, Mr. A.K.A. Mike, close us out in a word of prayer, please.